And some of you are very astute and asked this morning, well, Toby, it's Father's Day. Uh, notice you didn't get a tie. <laughs> Thank you for your observational powers. I know my family gave me uh, really the best gift a father can receive on Father's Day. That is a Chick-fil-A gift card, <laughs> which I will be using uh, you can bet uh, first thing tomorrow morning. Uh, we are glad that you are here today. And as if you're not aware, we have been in a series on Sunday mornings called Better Together. It's really focusing on the relationships that God calls us to, that God has blessed us with and how we can be better in those relationships. And today, of course, we're talking about dads. We're talking to dads and with dads. I want you to know that at Northside, we are a church that is supportive of dads. You might say that sounds kind of odd, but believe it or not, uh, there are some churches that, uh, well, they esteem Mother's Day much more highly than Father's Day. They, there's a sort of an unwritten message that fathers have sort of dropped the ball in our society, and uh, therefore we're not going to acknowledge them as much. Listen, uh, a father is just as much uh, important as a mother, and so we're going to uh, talk about both and talk to both, uh, and that's whether you are one, or, or certainly I know you've had one, um, what kind of dad did you have? I, I want to ask by a show of hands, uh, did you have a funny dad? How many of you had a funny dad who would, who would really cracked up at the pizza joke this morning? Okay. Uh, I found this picture on the Internet about, uh, he said, my dad handed me this and said, look like he barked up the wrong tree. <laughs> that would that would be a dad joke. Uh, dads generally have sort of that dad sense of humor. Uh, and it's not just with telling cheesy jokes. It, it usually is also concerning the children. Sometimes children put themselves in precarious positions where a mother would kind of freak out and, and lose her cool. A dad just uh, says, that's just funny right there. <laughs> How many of you had a dad who uh, nearly was always falling asleep? I mean, he would sit down, he would fall asleep. Some of you dads are there this morning, so appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> How many of you dad had a sleepy dad? I don't go to the Warren anymore because I don't care what the movie is. I call it nap time. I mean, it just sit. It, I don't know what happens in adulthood, but this here's a picture of a dad who literally fell asleep in the middle of a haircut. Uh, I've never done that. <laughs> How many of you have a lawn dad, a dad who is obsessed about having the perfect lawn? I mean, the, the, the straight lines and edging it, doing it the right order and making sure you bagged it, not having any remnants left. Do you have a, a lawn dad? I was waiting for Tyler to raise his hand there. I've got on to him a few times about the lawn. This was a, a picture that was kind of floating around the Internet that I thought was hilarious. Supposedly, it's a true story. It's in the middle of a tornado. Here's a dad mowing the lawn, and they interviewed the dad, this true story, they interviewed the dad afterward, this kind of get the background behind this story, he said, why in the world were you worried about mowing your lawn, and there's a tornado just, you know, hundreds of yards behind you, he said, I had my eye on it, <laughs> there's a bunch of dads in here this morning, he said, I would have been trimming an edge in too, I could have got that baby done, now, how many of you had a protective dad, I mean, he was really protective, okay? Uh, here is a, a dad getting ready for his daughter's date. <laughs> well, we can have some fun with that, and we know that there are very ele- various elements of truth in uh, the people that we know as our dads. Uh, but the truth is, we just know a good dad when we see one. 
Uh, you've seen a dad get on the floor and play with his kids, whether they're little babies and he's playing, he's picking up that plastic toy telephone or he's building the blocks or uh, he's wrestling on the floor with the kids. You know a good dad when you see one. You've seen a dad with makeup and his nails done, having tea parties. You know a good dad when you see one. You see a dad who's wearing a superhero cape, taking his son to Lowe's. You know a good dad when you see one. It's sort of a gut thing, right? You, you can tell the dads who are intentional and purposeful and thoughtful. And uh, all of us as dads sit in here, and a lot of us, if we're honest, go, I've messed up. I haven't always been the right dad, the perfect dad. I, I've, I've done some things messed up when I shouldn't have. I had an opportunity, and I missed it. And, and this morning, I, I want to extend to you grace Because there is no perfect father in this room. And all of us dads would say, Amen. We have one perfect father, and that's why we need his son, Jesus Christ. But this morning, I I want to give you a little more objective standard about what a good dad, a godly dad, looks like. And we're going to be jumping around in all sorts of scriptures today, so I hope you have your, your phone or your Bible ready to go. Uh, because we're going to sort of roll right through these. God has some instructions. God has a word of counsel. God has some words for you, dads, about the important things that you do. First, a godly dad provides. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 is where you want to go to. Now, as you're turning there, I'll say that fortunately, most dads, uh, even dads who are not Christ followers, sort of have this I don't know if it's hardwired or what, but they have this instinct, especially when that first newborn comes home. And they bring, and they, they just realize the weight and the burden that this child, uh, is not just gonna be okay with being fed one time. <laughs> he's gonna want, he's gonna be hungry over and over again, uh, through the numerous days of his or her life. And so uh, dads have this instinct, like, i got to provide. i got to be out there working, you know, as the old saying goes, leave the cave, kill something, and bring it home. All right, that's, that's a good dad thing to do. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, he's, he's speaking to Timothy, and he says this. He says, uh, oop, I advanced one, sorry. If anyone does not provide for his own family, especially those among his own family... He's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. Paul takes a special mention here to say, you know, a a man provides for his family. And so a a dad, a husband ought to be about the business of getting to work and making sure he's providing for his family. And while uh, fathers have that instinct, sometimes we forget that the way in which we provide is not just by bringing home a paycheck. That's important. I'm not discounting that. It is important to, to, to pay for the rent or the mortgage, to, to put food on the table, to have clothes for the kids. Those are good, honorable things. But sometimes a dad forgets that that's not his only area of provision that he's responsible for. Godly dads are to be providers, not just in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. Dads may ask you, are you praying for and with your children? 
Are, are, they read, are you reading the Bible together? Do they see your relationship with God in their day-to-day interaction? Are you providing emotional connection and provision? Do you know the heart of your children? Or you just have an awareness that there are some short people in the house? Do you know who they are? Do you know what they're going through? Are you taking the time to work with them and know them and love them and to raise them? A a good dad takes that responsibility seriously. It's not just the physical provision. We start there, but it's also the spiritual provision. Be a provider in your home. Secondly, a godly dad encourages. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 Uh, This verse says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. I thought it was interesting there in the the teaching on family in Colossians 3 that Paul again takes this special time, this this couple of words to say, don't discourage your children. He's not saying don't make them upset. He's not saying don't hold to your standards. He's saying don't discourage them. The opposite of that is encouragement, and and that simply means literally to give courage. Do you give courage to your children as they go to school? Do you give courage to your children as they go through uh, learning to do things and, and finding their place in the world? Do you give courage to your children when they have a hard time? Uh, the family and I went for a walk the other evening. We were going for a walk, and uh, there were some other kids that were with us, and they were all on their bikes, Except for one, little Grace. Grace was on her scooter because she didn't want to work. She's working on the training wheels, and she just decided that night she wanted to do the scooter. A scooter has a hard time keeping up with the bikes. And so she was sort of the caboose on the train with mom and dad who were walking. And at one point, she just got frustrated, didn't she? She just sat down almost in a puddle of tears and said, they've just forgotten me, dad. Now, I can't do anything about all the other kids in that moment. But see, in that moment, I had an opportunity to give courage. To remind Grace that she's going to learn to ride her bike real soon. And she's going to get there, and soon enough, she'll be riding with all of them. And then in the meantime, she has the wonderful opportunity that all the other kids do not, and that is to hang out with her awesome dad. What's that about? Giving courage. Now, this is very important because a lot of dads forget that their, that their voice is weightier than most. Now, moms, I'm not saying your voice doesn't matter. I'm just saying there's something about a dad's voice. Paul talked about his dad's hands and how much of an impression they left on him. But do you remember your dad's voice? Whether it was putting the fear of God in you or whether it was to encourage you to tell you things were going to be okay. There is nothing quite like a father's voice. And so we have to use that voice carefully, dads, because the words that we say have an extra measure of weight. I'm going to ask them to bring the lights down because we're going to show a, a real quick video clip. This video clip is of an actress named Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You probably know her maybe from Seinfeld, but she has performed in front of millions of people. Last year at the Emmys, she accepted an award, I think it was for Best Actress or something, And uh, here is her acceptance speech. I want you to pay attention to what she says. Um, Lastly, I'd like to dedicate this to my father, William Louis Dreyfus, who passed away on Friday. And 
I'm so glad that he liked Veep because his opinion was the one that really mattered. Thank you. Here is a professional actress and comedian. She's performed in front of millions and millions of people. She's been on the red carpet. She's been in front of the camera lens. And, and she, has, she is not afraid to be on the stage. She's always ready with a word. She, she's always prepared for that moment. But when she recounts her father, she begins to visibly shake and lose emotional control. That should tell us something about the power of a father's impact. Now, I don't know anything about her father, but I do know the same thing is true of her father's that it is of all fathers. That your opinion is the one that really matters. I have no doubt that she had heard the opinions of critics and fans alike. I have no doubt that she had heard the opinions of coaches and agents and directors and producers. But at the end of the day... In her life, the voice that mattered the most was that of her dad. May we not forget to encourage and to use our voices carefully. Third, a father, a godly father protects. If you want to go to Joshua chapter 24, it is a verse that you probably know pretty well. Joshua chapter 24, we're going to start in verses 14 and 15. And there as they prepare to enter the promised land... Joshua calls them to this, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, now Joshua was a warrior. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. But God never forgot his responsibility to protect his family. Now, I don't doubt that... that Joshua would have done anything. He would have, he would have held his shield and his spear if he, he felt like his, his family was in danger. But what he is talking about here was the spiritual protection. Physically, most of us dads understand that it's our responsibility. Late at night, we hear a noise. We were kind of startled awake from sleep and we realize there's a noise that just shouldn't be. So we grab the baseball bat or the sidearm or the shotgun and we go and we clear it out. We clear the house. We check it out, make sure everything's okay. That's what a good dad does. And I don't think there's very few dads who would shy away from that responsibility. But there are some dads who would do that and yet they'll let their children listen to hours upon hours of filth or watch it. They'll let their children hang out with kids who are unsavory or of the darkness. And there are lots of good dads who won't stand for that. A good dad has to be a protector. And so when your dad says to you, I'm sorry, you can't go to that party. And you're mad and you're frustrated and you're going to lose a little bit of uh, social capital because you won't be there. And you're frustrated as you can be because your dad won't get off your back. You need to understand that your dad's one of the few people that has your back. When your dad says to you, I don't want you dating that boy. And you say, oh, dad, you don't understand. Oh, he does. 
He does better than you know. You need to understand he's being a good dad. When he interviews your date, and you're embarrassed and mortified, there should be a part of you deep down inside that's exceedingly proud that he loves you that much to be a protector. That's what good dads do. It was six ago. We were at a, an amusement park, maybe Six Flags or something. I was there with the, the youth group, and we were standing in line for a roller coaster. And toward the front of the line... I happened to notice, notice a family there with several children, various ages. Uh, I determined that they were a Jewish family because of the, the yarmulkes. And I, I noticed, for whatever reason, the, the youngest one, or at least the shortest one of the children, uh, the, the closer that the line got to the roller coaster, which kept coming through at intervals, the more nervous he got. At first, he held on tightly to what I guess was his older brother, and he clung closer and closer. And, and then, and the closer they got, he reached up for his mother, and she held him, and he, and he clung closer, and he began to get a few tears in his eyes. And as he got almost to where he was just would be up on the next time or two, he reached out, and in a crying, sort of creaky voice, he said, Abba, Abba. Now that touched me as a as a dad and as a Gentile. Because I had never heard a child use the Abba in that sort of way. It's a it's a very intimate, it's it's like what you and I would say, Papa or Daddy. It's a very familiar way of calling out to your father. It's how Jesus cried out to his father. But when he was crying and he was reaching for his father from his mother's arms, he was saying, Abba, Abba. It reminded me that children instinctively know the power and the strength, the protection, as Psalm 46 says, of your father's arms, of your father's hands. May we use those hands wisely and be a protector, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. Number four, a godly dad. A godly dad trains. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, just like that. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we know that. It's a very popular verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the one that Dale read for us just a few minutes ago. says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Again, this doesn't mean make them upset or make them unhappy. It just means don't exhaust them with inconsistent standards. Don't act one way and expect something here while you're here on Sunday And then act entirely different here in just a few hours when you're home. Don't exasperate them. Be consistent in your lifestyle and your standards and in your training of them. As I think about that, I I realize that as a dad, there's a lot of training that I do in my mind. You know, I I think about all the things I want my, my children to know and all the things that I've got to teach them as I go along. And part of that is how to work. Uh, the, the value of hard work. The, uh, part of it is learning good manners, how to act in a public setting, how to act at the restaurant and so forth. A part of that is understanding simple things like how to change the oil or how to change a tire or how to mow the lawn. And so there's those things that are in my mind that I do intentionally. But I took a very official survey right in my head with only myself, and I said, 
Probably 20% of the things that I endeavor to teach my children as a dad are intentional. The other 80% are the things that are unintentionally taught by my actions, by my behavior, by my example. Another way to say that is more is caught than is taught. So we got to be very, very careful in how we train our children, not just in the intentional things, not just in how to throw a ball, not just in how to do a skill, but in how to act and live. And the majority of the ways in which we do that is through our own lives and the example that they see. Number five, a godly dad has influence. Now, how do you influence your children? How do you have influence on the next generation? My estimation, it comes down to one word, and that word is discipline. Now, I know that's not a politically correct term, um, but the scripture is quite clear on it. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13 says this, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Uh, Contrary to their objections, they will not die. It is important that you do that. In the truck yesterday, Grace was telling me, you know, Dad, we really like it when Mom spanks us better than when you spank us. <laughs> but that's not going to kill them. That's going to train them. There will be a whole lot of hurt that will be saved in the teenage years and the young adult years if more parents and specifically more dads got about the business of disciplining. Now, by the way, it's not just spanking them, okay? There, there's a, another part after that, the instruction. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings disgrace to his mother. You've got to work on it. Children don't know anything. And no offense to any children uh, that are here, but they are foolish. They are stupid. They, They don't have the experience of life. That's why they need a parent, a father. Proverbs 29, 17, the last one says, discipline your son and he will give you rest and he will give delight to your heart. See, there's a there's an important part of fathering, and that is this discipline, which is so hard to do. But when we do it, there is a harvest of righteousness. The root word of discipline is the word disciple, which simply means the word student. So as you're training your children with the rod and the reproof and the encouragement, what you're doing there is training a student. And you're helping them to go along. You're training them to follow your example. And the most important thing you're doing, hopefully, is leading them to the Lord. Now, I could explain all that to you, or I could just ask you to talk to Mike and Kylie Miller. I could show you this picture from Kylie's Facebook page. She said, we had kind of a rough morning. Dad popped in to say hi and saw that things were not going well, and so he sat down to have a chat, uh, uh, gathered the troops for a pep talk. Kylie was being very diplomatic in that Facebook post. Uh, I think this is what I would describe as a come-to-Jesus revival meeting right in your living room. You ever been to a come-to-Jesus revival meeting right in your living room? You had a good dad if he was conducting the revival. Because I can guarantee you that Austin, Colton, and Hadley will remember the lessons imparted by Mike in that moment more than they'll hear this sermon. That's what a good dad does.
If you don't know Mike, I'll tell you he's a farmer, but he understands his job is not raising crops, but raising children. And that's what he's doing. And that's what he's got to do because that's his role as a godly dad. Last but certainly not least, a godly dad is a mentor. Now, Jesus said this, and he's speaking of his relationship with his father. He said, truly, I tell you, just John five nineteen, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, we understand that on a human level. May we understand that that doesn't that's not just a life stage when they're in the house. Your children follow your example in many, many ways. As I said earlier, Father's Day can be hard. If you didn't have a good dad, if he was absent, if he was abusive, if he was addicted, uh, Father's Day can be hard. But you can't change that. You can't change who he is or who he was. You can only start today. And if you didn't have the greatest example, I point you to the scriptures who give us the best example for all fathers Wherever we are, you can't change the past, but you can influence the present. Uh, I've said before the old proverb that goes, uh, you know, when's the best time to plant an oak tree? 20 years ago. The second best time today. You can't change what happened 20 or 30 years ago, but you can begin today. You can remind your children what it is to be a good dad. I'll finish with this story that I found by John Richmond. The other day, my five-year-old son came to me with a serious question. His voice was low, clear, and calm. I could tell he had something on his mind. He looked down in my eye and in all the seriousness of a five-year-old said, Dad, can you teach me to be a good dad? Of course, I told him. I said, I love the the young man that you're becoming, and I know you're going to be a a great dad one day, son. That didn't satisfy. He still looked concerned, and apparently disregarding my general encouragement, he asked again, but will you teach me? He was looking for something more than generalizations. He wanted specifics. He wanted a mentor. So holding him close and matching his tone, I got down on his level, looked him in the eye, and I said, I will teach you how to be a good dad. And with that, he smiled, he left the room, he returned to the jigsaw puzzle he'd been working on. Now, my wife was in the corner beaming because he said he had been waiting to ask that question all day. We asked, we we laughed at the simplicity of his earnestness and were struck by the meaning of that moment. The truth is that whether we that we strategically think about teaching our kids to read, to solve math problems, to fix engines, to ace college entrance exams. But where do kids learn how to be an adult? Where do they learn to be a dad or mom, a husband or wife? After all, those are some of life's most important roles. Over the next several weeks, my son asked me the same question over and over again. Will you teach me? To be a good dad. So I shifted my language with him. And every day we began to have dad lessons. Where we would talk about how dads ought to love their families. We would wash the dishes together. And I would explain that we weren't just cleaning the plates. But that we were loving and appreciating and honoring the cook. 
We would pause the game we were playing to listen to his younger sister's story. Not because we were tired of the game or that interested in the story, but because we loved our sister and our daughter, and she deserved our undivided attention. We got up early to buy donuts on Saturday morning, not because we wanted a treat, but because we wanted to surprise the family. And after every experience, after every simple moment of the day, I would just look at him and wink and say, this is what good dads do. These dad lessons didn't cause our family rhythm to change much, but we began to talk differently about life from his perspective. And we began to infuse ordinary and simple aspects of family life with the labels that allowed them to be processed by our youngest. My failures, by the way, and my mistakes provided teaching moments too. On one occasion, I was being rather insensitive, not really paying attention to what he was doing. And I apologized and I told him that dad should be more aware. And he pulled up next to me, patted my shoulder and he said, that's okay. You're still a good dad. The truth is my kids do not have a perfect example of a perfect parent. In fact, I hope they will do far better than I have. But for this time, for this season, for these years, we have the sacred trust of being their mentor. May we take that responsibility seriously. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, it's such a simple yet profound thing that we can come to you with that word, Father. That we can approach you knowing that you love us, that you care for us, that you want what's best for us. That you've done everything this side of heaven to be in relationship with us. And Father, when we have neglected that relationship, we we ask your forgiveness. We know that as Ken said earlier, you just like to hear from us. And I pray that today we'll begin the beginning of hearing and talking to our Father more. May we not forget the power of a good Father. And, and Father, thank you so much for the way in which you provide all of these roles for us in our lives. Father, we know there are those who fall short. We all do. And I pray that if they can find it in their heart to not be overwhelmed by guilt, but, but to repent and to change and to begin again today. Thank you, Father, for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your life-giving hope that we find through Jesus. It's through his most holy name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have a public need, you would like to know your father better because of what the son did, you can. If you're ready to do that in a public way, to repent, to confess him as Lord, to put him on in baptism, we're glad to help you. Our shepherds will be glad to help you if you come down front this morning. and They'll aid you in that. Or if you have a need of prayer or you need to repent, whatever way we might be able to help you, we pray that we can do so. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?